Kia ora, and welcome to the Dawn Chorus. I'm Bernard Hickey. This is my daily podcast that goes out every morning with my email newsletter for paid subscribers to the Kaka. Uh, and the work I do covering climate change, housing and affordability, and uh, uh, child poverty is supported by those paid subscribers. Thank you. Today I wanted to focus on a couple of big geopolitical events that involve us and put some context and meaning, hopefully, for Aotearoa New Zealand around those big events. And you may hear of them or have already heard of them in the last couple of days, but I think they're worth diving into a bit more. Firstly, overnight, the United States has announced at the G7 leaders meeting that it wants to do a Western version of China's Belt and Road Infrastructure Initiative. And it wants to invest 200 billion US dollars in infrastructure around the world. Just a step back for those who don't know what Belt and Road is and why it's important. Over a decade ago, Xi Jinping and the Chinese leadership decided to launch what they called a Belt and Road Initiative, which in effect is a large collection of infrastructure and various other spending projects outside of China. The road part of it is the old Silk Road, which um, takes uh, things back and forth between Europe and China. And the aim was to create a whole bunch of new ports and railways and roads that better connected China's economy with the European economy. Also, there's what they call the Belt, uh, which has never been exactly clear to me um, the direct linkage in the same way the Silk Road refers to the Belton Road. But the Belt involves a whole bunch of projects pretty much anywhere in the world that China would quite like to do, involving the usual ports, infrastructure, all sorts of spending, and in particular lending to countries who are short of money, need infrastructure, and are open to working closer with China. And we've seen a whole bunch of these projects launched or attempts to get them launched in the likes of Africa, uh, Southeast Asia, even the Pacific, uh, right across Central Asia, and uh, even into the subcontinent uh, with Pakistan in particular. And uh, part of the, the deal here is that China is trying to expand its influence into other parts of the world. However, also at the same time, looking to improve their trade and uh, other connections to the rest of the world by improving the infrastructure, because they understand that in the West in particular, we've been really bad at investing in infrastructure for the last 30 or 40 years under the, what you call a neoliberal doctrine, which says the aim of government is to be smaller and that infrastructure should be funded by the private sector which in effect means it hasn't been built at all, or in many cases, repaired. And this has restrained productivity growth through much of the Western world over the last 20 to 30 years. And it's been the big difference between China's economy and the West's economy. Although, to be fair, China was starting from a low base and took advantage of improved technology and, of course, all that trade with the rest of the world 
to leverage off the top of all that infrastructure spending, all those massive airports and roads and fast rail and ports, massive amounts of spending. Because remember that China's economy is very much based on investment, particularly in infrastructure. So apartments, roads, hospitals, schools, all sorts of factories, steel, electricity, huge ports, all of the machinery for making an economy work. And they've chosen to invest that money in the infrastructure before they've allowed consumers to spend it. And that's why, at various points, more than half of Chinese GDP has been uh, investment in the future. Just to give you an idea, um, more like 10 to 15% of our GDP is investment in infrastructure and research and development and business investment. Uh, and you could argue it needs to be at least double that to catch up. However, that's China's approach, and they saw an opportunity here to build their influence by building all these projects around the world. Now, initially, it was welcomed with open arms. In fact, New Zealand is one of the original signatories to the Belt and Road Initiative, as it's called, although we did it in a very vague way that allowed us to not get involved. And there was even some talk briefly that China would come in and build um, the city rail link or uh, some sort of sub uh, Auckland Harbour crossing because of the um, the power of, of, of Chinese companies and the amount of capital they've got uh, and some expertise and labour to, to do these sorts of things. However, um, when the model became a little clearer in some other countries, um, some Western countries became a bit nervous about this, not to mention some of the developing economies who could see that it wasn't so much a gift or um, a friendly partnership, but it was very much done in China's interests. For example, China has a surplus of stuff that it makes out of these factories. Lots of steel, lots of concrete, lots of building materials, all sorts of stuff that it really needs to export. And its economy is, is based on these exports of these things. And it has a particular problem that it has various exchange controls stopping a lot of just old plain old cash that's been printed inside China from getting out of China. And one way to take some of the pressure off those limits on capital controls is to ensure that you earn foreign exchange from the things you make inside the country. And if you're clever, you can export it to another country uh, into a project that you control and send the US dollars or other currencies back to China. And if you're really clever, you get the country involved, be it Sri Lanka or Kenya or wherever it is, to borrow the US dollars and then to pay that money to China as debt. So in effect, borrowing money to pay China to build this big new road or port or whatever it is. So then China has the ability, if the debt is not paid, to call it in and to, in effect, take ownership of the asset and to apply pressure to that country if it's in trouble. And the poster child for this is Sri Lanka, where China convinced Sri Lanka they really needed a port in their remote uh, uh, eastern shores where there wasn't much in the way of people or infrastructure or exports or imports but there was a really good place for a port. 
And this was an area that was neglected, it had been hurt in various civil wars. And so Sri Lanka said, yep, we'll, we'll borrow some money and we'll get you to build a port for us. It's a good deal. China built the port very quick, often using their own labor, shipped in using uh, their own labor laws, their own wages, and, uh, and then uh, using their own building materials. Um, and uh, after a while, uh, after it was built, it became very clear that it couldn't wash its own face and Sri Lanka was in debt to China who then promptly took ownership of the port, which it turned out was also strategically very important as a naval port, allowing China to park its navy there and uh, control some of the uh, sea entrances into South, the South China Sea and in particular to Southeast Asia. And suddenly it sort of dawned on everyone that China had effectively used its export materials and its muscle and its its money and to both collect a bunch of foreign exchange but also create a debt which it could then call in and pressure uh, Sri Lanka to give it uh, port access and uh, an ability to project influence over the Indian Ocean and the South China Sea. So this is the MO of, of China's Belt and Road and belatedly Western countries have sort of worked it out. Uh, belatedly is the word. So overnight, uh, President Biden says to the G7, let's come up with our own Belt and Road so that we can exercise some influence and try to get people go, get people behind us in the uh, great strategic competition with China. All good. It's about 30 years too late, though, and it effectively depends on a change in the underlying ethos of how the West runs its economies. For 30 years, it has run its economies in the interests of consumers, i.e. keep taxes low, try to keep prices low, uh, ensure lo lots of imports come in cheaply, and avoid investing in infrastructure, which effectively is a substitute for consumption for consumers and voters, and try to reduce the size of government because there is an ideological view that um, government is a bad thing that needs to be smaller, uh, which uh, is all fine when everything's peace and you've just won the Cold War. However, when you're in a competition with China and you're worried about getting invaded by Russia, then suddenly you want to spend the state's money to build up infrastructure. And to be frank, for the West, its big surges in infrastructure spending have mostly been about uh, self-defense and building up military infrastructure. For example, the huge network of state highways across the United States that were built in the 50s and 60s were created in part because Eisenhower, the then US president, wanted to ensure that there were easy ways to move tanks across the United States in the event that it was attacked by Russia. And so that was a good way to justify all the spending on state highways, which helped supercharge America's growth through the 60s, 70s and into the 80s. And you could say the thing, same thing about, for example, the GI Bill, which after the Second World War ensured that a whole bunch of troops coming back from Europe, United States troops, were given free tertiary educations. Now this was partly to get them trained up so they could use all the fancy military devices that were being invented to fend off the Soviets, but effectively it was a massive investment in the knowledge infrastructure of the US economy and helped power the US economy's growth for a couple of decades. 
So, the other big news in the last couple of days is that the United States, the UK, Australia and Japan have launched something they call the Blue Pacific Partnership and New Zealand has joined up with it. Now this is essentially an augmented version of AUKUS but much more focused on aid and development. And you ask the question, what is AUKUS? Well, it's one of those beautiful acronyms to explain a defence alliance created last year between Australia, the UK and the US in which Australia agrees to buy nuclear-powered submarines, but not nuclear weapons, from the United States. Again, pulling together to push back at China. So the um, Pacific Blue Pacific Alliance also includes Japan, which of course is part of this Western Alliance pushing back at China. And in recent months, New Zealand has edged closer and closer to this US-led alliance, even though China is our largest trading partner. And we are seeing another step of New Zealand closer to that alliance. And of course, this is a part of the pushback against China's own cash-led diplomatic drive to win friends and influence people in the Pacific, which the West sees as its own backyard, again, belatedly. Now, this will all be good if it helps increase the amount of aid and cooperation into the Pacific and fight back against the uh, Chinese push, um, which has been going on for years. Uh, this was a significant ramping up of the push when the foreign minister jumped on a plane and uh, did a whistle-stop 10-visit uh, ten, ten, uh, trip through the Pacific, trying to get the Pacific to sign up on the, on the day to a massive new um, alliance with China. That didn't work. But for years now, China has been building parliament buildings, uh, building all sorts of roads and various other things in the likes of Vanuatu, Tonga, Papua New Guinea and the likes um, because the West doesn't do this sort of thing, doesn't invest in infrastructure in its own countries, let alone other countries. So um, let's see what happens here, whether America will actually be able to get this money up and running globally, a fund of 200 billion US for a start, it has to contribute itself. Remember that Biden couldn't even get his own uh, Build Back Better infrastructure uh, plan up and running, again, because of this um, broad approach, which is keep government small, don't invest in infrastructure. The whole aim of government is to cut taxes. The trouble is, of course, you do that for long enough, and other countries who don't have the same approach will see a weakness. And that effectively is the story of China it's, and Russia. It's seen a weakness in the West's approach to investing in infrastructure and defence in its own people, and the West's uh, refusal to understand that if you don't invest in infrastructure, your productivity and growth rates are going to slide. And also, if you continue to cut taxes mostly on the rich and at the same time uh, make it easier for those who have wealth to build that wealth, sometimes at the expense of those on lower incomes, and often to gather up the fruits of the economic growth you do have, you widen inequality and you make your democracy and your social system unstable. The West is now reaping that whirlwind. We've seen more examples of it over the weekend with the absolutely awful uh, Supreme Court ruling um, that has turned 
America's civil rights for women back 50 years, and it's seen as the platform for another attack on civil rights, for example, LBGTQ rights, um, uh, gay marriage, uh, all sorts of things. Uh, that's because uh, one group, the Republican Party, you could argue the group of the rich, managed to um, progressively over a decade aim to take control of the um, levers of democracy using gerrymandering and uh, paying off politicians in all sorts of ways with the assumption that um, there was no cost to this, that uh, it could... In, uh, it could increase the power of those who already have power and there wouldn't be a price to pay because um, the broader public would either not notice or not do much about it or that the opponents of democracy and capitalism would ignore it or not do much about it. Well, we're now in a point where firstly destabilising democracy by doing this and it didn't help that social media has come along to make it easier to destabilise democracy, and not investing as infrastructure has given Russia and China a look-in, and they've taken it. And now there's a mad scramble to get back and try to push back and uh, defend democracy. It's a bit late in America, and maybe they're onto, um, onto a better trajectory on the way back up, You'd have to think that the Supreme Court ruling over the weekend will galvanise a lot of support for the forces of democracy and an attempt to try and redress the inequality and restore some basic rights to everyone. Uh, we'll see. Um, we've seen what happens when uh, democracy's forces are undermined in the UK, in Europe, uh, even in Australia and to a less, much lesser extent here, luckily. But you only need to look at the court case that's just concluded, uh, although we haven't got a verdict yet, showing uh, who donated money to New Zealand first, why, and uh, uh, what, what happened with it. Um, no capital gains tax, although you could argue New Zealand first was never going to have a capital gains tax. So, the big picture there... New Zealand is edging closer to the Western Alliance, certainly in the Pacific. The Western Alliance has worked out that not investing in infrastructure is not a good thing if you want to defend democracy and push back against uh, the forces of autocracy in China and Russia. And unfortunately, as it often does, this is focused around uh, military spending and infrastructure. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was a wider view for this morning's Dawn Chorus here on The Kaka. Thanks again to the paid subscribers to The Kaka who support this sort of work I do. Kaki te anō.